Welcome to Stand at the Table. We are friends in community, part of a church called Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Pennsylvania. Despite our many differences, we aim to stay at the table, which means we don't walk away from each other when we disagree. We believe the best relationships come when we are willing to listen to each other, showing love even when we continue to see the world differently. We want to welcome everybody back again today, and we are um, with the stupendous Matt Kistler, <laughs> the amazing Reverend James Beatty, the awesome um, Reverend Sophia Futris, and the spectacular Dave Moore, <laughs> and I okay. am the terrific Reverend Dr. Tracy Saletta. And I think we could work on those adjectives. <laughs> Okay, look, it's right off the cuff here. I can't help it. And um, we are in the midst of a conversation with Reverend Sophia talking about her journey into recognizing and embracing her identity um, as a um, gay woman. And last week we listened to part one of her childhood or adolescence. And this week we're going to talk about her um engagement with the church, her her becoming a Christian, her discovering Christ in her life, and how this affected her identity um, with the LBGTQIA plus community. So, Sophia, we welcome you again, and thank you for last week. It was very courageous. And um, as we um, enter today's conversation, can you um, kind of skip to discovering Christ and and your journey there. And if there's something that a bridge that needs to be built between teens and this, please build it mm-hmm. and bring us to your Christianity. Thanks everyone for having me back again. Uh, I would say last last week, part of what I talked about was growing up in the Greek Orthodox Church um, tradition and a Greek family. And um, so I I had some sort of sense of spirituality, religion, and it was something we did together as a family every Sunday. And there was some sort of internalized homophobia, whether it was from that or from just culture. And I said last time that even when I was in that tradition, going to Greek church camp, um, I was even seeing priests there to confess and say that I'm having thoughts and that I think I'm uh, I'm gay or something's not totally 100% you know right with me <laughs> and so it started then but I would say that it increased as I was introduced to more of a Protestant version of Christianity th- and specifically more so evangelical and uh really was introduced uh to Christianity through a friend and um, and initially, because I was so tormented by um, the fear of being found out, thinking that I was wrong, I wanted, I was just in pursuit of a faith of a God who could per- essentially heal the gay in me and take it away because I just wanted an escape, right? Initially, I it was thoughts about suicide and death. But now I was like, okay, I don't want to do that. I want to be alive. And 
then I was like, okay, maybe this evangelical God could be more powerful than the Greek God. Doubt it. No, I'm just kidding. That was a bad like <laughs> mythology joke. <laughs> um, and so, so, so I guess there was a, there was a distinct moment in my life where I was at a, I was at a party and I was so scared that people were going to find out what I was doing. Kind of freaked out, like screamed, cried. It was a real scary moment for me mentally. And from that moment on, I stopped doing anything related to kind of the secret group of friends and um, the experimentation with my sexuality and trying to figure myself out and drinking and parties and stuff, stuff like that. I just stopped and met this friend who told me all about Jesus in kind of more of a uh, evangelical way and confessed all my sins to her, quote unquote. And she kind of helped me to get forgiveness for the gayness in me or whatever, how you say it. This is not well scripted, of course, because it's just me. But And so that took me on a journey of reading the Bible of going to a different church, of getting really immersed into evangelical Christianity. Okay, pause. I'm going to interrupt mm-hmm. you. You already did. I did. You hit a crisis point. Yes. Even even um, outside of Christianity, mm-hmm. the crisis point was what I'm hearing you say is you could no longer hide. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to be gay. Mm-hmm. You were terrified. Yeah. You you had a meltdown. That wasn't working, semi-embracing it, mm-hmm. hiding. So now the Christianity is put into your path. Yeah. Now you're grabbing that as a as a life preserver to go, maybe this will work to get rid of this side of me that I don't want. Yes. Accurate? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Thank and you. this was still in high school? Yes. Yeah. So this was like at the tail end of high school. So in a way, it was like a relief because I stopped participating in something that was causing me so much mental torment of being afraid, fear, shame, being found out. And then it just pushed it further down into like kind of my soul, my psyche. It was still fully there, but it was like... But it's more wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's wrong. And I pushed it down. It was just, I I didn't have the exhaustion of trying to keep up kind of two lives. The things that you were doing. Yes. I still had it all inside. And so when I started kind of this new relationship with God, which initially was beautiful, because it was kind of the start of my faith walk with Jesus of like, wow, like there's a God who loves me and forgives me and has mercy on me and all the sweet churchy things that I grabbed onto then. But in the midst of all that, I still feel like I can look back and say, you know, in that time, I feel like I really discovered Jesus the the friend to my soul and the lover of my soul and never felt from Jesus a sense of disdain or hatred or shaming around this part of my life. It was always from external things. Mm. In that place, there was, um, and I want to make sure that I'm clear about this because I think it's easy to throw out everything with the bathwater. Is that the saying? Um Throw out the baby with the bath Throw water. Throw out the baby with the <laughs> bath water. Yes. And so that was important for me to, to recognize. And that's, that's kind of how I started. And then I got involved with 
I went to college. I was got this newfound faith. I was like a totally different person. And, and I was so excited to follow Jesus. And my family thought I was a little crazy. And I was, I'm so sorry guys. And it was, it was like, I really went all the way to the other side of faith and reading the Bible and just intense going the opposite direction of like, okay, this is going to be the thing that's going to take this away and I can live a new life. And then I got into a campus ministry and which was great friends and um, it just was interesting because I started seeing messaging through this ministry like they had people who were previously gay come and talk to us and share their stories and say, you know, essentially they prayed the gay way, so can you. And so this just continued to play into my mind of like, okay, it worked for these people. It can work for me. Even though in the back of my head, I can remember thinking this is a bunch of crap and thought it was so toxic, but I was not nearly ready to be honest. And I can remember filling out applications for things. And I call them like the outing applications because on these applications, you always had to say if you ever struggled with homosexuality and that you would sign the dotted line that you would not engage um, with people of the same sex. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you mean like there's two people in my life who know about this part of me, but I'm going to write on an application for you all to now know and potentially hold against me. It just felt super shaming and super toxic. And I'll just pause right there. So I know you well. I know the story. This is a very leading question, and um, it might be too soon to ask it. Do you think, or how do you think, your zealousness in Christianity is connected to you running Mm -hmm. from your identity as a gay woman? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say that it 100% does. In what way? Because I think that I thought that I could just, the more that I could make that my identity, the less that this would have part of my identity. And it was kind of like, as if people saw me as super spiritual ministry, Sophia, then even if they did see that on me, they would know that like I was good enough to not act on it. Mm. Yeah. And even if I did talk about it or thought about it, or if anybody else talked about it, they would know by me talking about it or me always talking about husband or me always talking about this kind of like at times hyper spirituality. It was like a detour. It was like a decoy. Mm. It was like a decoy. Distraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't think that at the core, there was still an authenticity of a a true love for Jesus. Um, But I think that a lot of the behaviors and ways that I lost myself in being a person of ministry, I think that that was directly related to hiding and trying to make this go away. Because I noticed when I finally embraced it, that the shame and the pressure I felt in my spiritual journey was gone. And then I could just be like, okay, who's God? Who am I in relation to God? Because there was this constant, like in, and 
I would say too, like so much of my Christian journey and my spiritual journey was like, it was so hyper focused on not messing up, Mm. like not messing up, not ever falling into that, not ever giving way to quote unquote lust, which was just for me, attraction and normal thinking about what's natural to me but in a spiritual context was shamed and determined to be evil. And so my whole spiritual life, I feel like was, I would say like 90% of it was rooted in using that to not, not mess up and fall into the temptation of, of same sex attraction. Yeah. So if you run hard enough, follow Jesus hard enough, mm-hmm. serve hard enough, yeah. do all the right things hard enough, mm-hmm. perform hard enough, you can keep this down. Yeah. You can you can make it not real. Yeah. Because you are in a in a hyper holy place. Right. And I know we're gonna get to this, but I'm gonna put a teaser in here is this was part of your journey when you finally embrace yourself is how do I have a relationship with God now? Absolutely. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. We'll, which we'll get to. Yes. Sophia, how many um, in your ministry, because you have ministered globally, you have ministered among those who um, have been trafficked and are being trafficked. You have mm-hmm. ministered Across continents, you have been in Africa, in Asia, you know, um, Thailand. I mean, you have been the quintessential missionary and and um, follower of Christ. And my question has flown out of my head. Hang on, it'll, it'll come back to me. Go ahead, All right, Jane, So I'll ask thinking. one while that comes back. So we're, we're in. You're in this phase where you're in college and you're running hard for for Christ to try to not think about, hey, what is my um, orientation or anything like that? In college, if I remember correctly, it, when you get close to graduation, especially in Christian circles, there is this wave of coupling that starts just before graduation, that final year. Um, in fact, my, the story I have is I had three roommates. I went on a work assignment and before I left, I told my friends, nobody get married before I get back. (laughs) Right. And when I got back, all three of them were engaged. Wow. Right. So with that as the context, you're about to graduate. You're an attractive person. This wave goes through your school. How do you handle this? Because they, their expectation is there's this guy chasing you and you have to say no if you're going to be true to yourself. How are you juggling this? Yeah, so I think that I was so closed to mm. the idea of it because of the hiding and... I think because of the kind of the energy that I put off or maybe I'm like, you know, 
really unattractive and I am being deceived by myself. No. But no. I know that's not I can but the, clearly say no to that. <laughs> um, I never really had like, like I wasn't one of the girls that guys chased after. So it wasn't like I was trying to like avoid it because I always had so many guards up. Hmm. And I think I gave off some pretty strong messaging without saying <laughs> some messaging, right? I mean, you're a dude, right? Like you can tell when like yeah. you're a man, you're a man, dude. So like you can just tell when like somebody's not like they're not feeling you, right? But you had plenty of prophetic words. Oh yeah, promising you that quintessential guy. Absolutely. And, and go ahead. Sorry, but like in your head was the potential future that. The gay would go away, and then someday, as a normal, quote-unquote, person, you would then find a husband and be a wonderful Christian homemaker. Absolutely. Dream dream of dreams. But that was in your head. It was was totally in my head. I was never one of those girls who was super obsessed with, like, getting married, having babies. Like, it was just never really kind of – because I think it was so loaded for me of – yes, I think I want that because I want normal and I want to fit in and I don't want to whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, of course I want to be loved, but it just, it just was like, I thought that, and I think once I started getting those prophetic words, I finally thought that it was my way to like all the couples who had gotten engaged and married. And like, as the years went on, right. Every single one of my friends was married. I, you know, I was in every single wedding and it always crossed my mind of like, you know, is this ever going to be a reality for me? Mm-hmm. And I hoped that it would be because I wanted that normalcy. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't even I wasn't even in this space where I could acknowledge that there could ever be something different because mm-hmm. it it was just totally not okay for me. It was off limits for there to ever be another reality then the gay was going to go away and there was going to be a husband and it was going to be fine. I mean, was the option of being a single person the rest of your life, like where did that narrative fit into kind of your mind? Because I mean, just knowing that in some Christian circles, mm-hmm. that would kind of be like, okay, sure, that would be their solution for you. Absolutely. Yeah, it's there's so many different like layers of like what the church, quote unquote, or the people of the church deem is okay. So some people are like, never say you're gay. Don't tell us. We don't want to know about it. It's an evil thought. Just keep it out. Some people are like, it's okay for you to be gay. Just be celibate and be gay right. and just don't do anything. And um, then, of course, there's other layers that are more, pro- that are more, I don't know what the word is, whatever. Yeah, something but, else. So I think that that was probably out there. I mean, I was 30, 33 or 32 before I ever really had a relationship. And so I lived most of my life single and dated a couple of guys along the way. But I I never really thought about it in terms of, I think this is important. I never really thought about that because I was still hoping that there would just be a husband and it would just be fine. Normal. And by the time I had like accepted myself and embraced myself, it was shortly after that then I was in a relationship with a woman. And so I didn't have that like, it was always an option, but it wasn't really like. Your vision yeah. for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do have to say, and we may have to cut this, but I do have to say that I remember you writing 
what you felt was a prophetic, beautiful word from God about what your husband Mm -hmm. at that time would look like. Yeah. And I remember, you know, Sophia sharing this with me and me going, there ain't no man like this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what this is. And this was way before, right? But I'm like, I don't know. I don't know any man that's good, you know, which it tickles me now. Yeah. Because, you know, the relationship that you've had, Mm -hmm. it's, it's all of that. Yeah. It's, but to me, and I'm jumping way ahead, but to me, that is the sweetness of God's God kisses. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. That, That it, yeah, it's just, and I, and I, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll absolutely leave it there, but I, I I remember my question. Okay, oh, wait before it, you can before you do yes it, yes just because just bef- with what you were just saying, somebody gave me a prophetic word during the time when I was like getting all these words, and they told me they had a dream about my husband and described what he looked like, and ironically enough, it looks exactly like my current partner, <laughs> except it was. Like, you know, Male. all, because of course, if that's your, that's, it's, awesome. that's your theology, that's the way you're going to give it. Like if your theology is very anti-gay marriage or it's, if it just thinks that homosexuality is a sin, then you're not going to prophesy over somebody. I see your, I see your gay lover, like, right. <laughs> you're not going to say that, right. That would be pretty ballsy. That would be really, so are we I, allowed to say that word? <laughs> All good. Come on, you can just say it again. That. I don't know. I mean, we're talking about gay lovers. I mean, <laughs> get a hold of yourself. Help me. All right. All right. I'm sorry. Go please, ahead. Please don't cut that. I'm sweating. <laughs> I mean, one one thought, not to derail us too much, but another thing that kind of popped out a couple times as you were talking was the standard that as a that for you, the sin standard was unclear and a very high bar yeah. of not even feeling attractive thoughts, like not thinking attraction thoughts was part of the sin. While for a hetero person, that would not like I, I can feel attracted to a number of people, yeah. especially pre-marriage. And that is normal, acceptable but you know, th- there's these different yes, and and the sin is well, are you having sex? Right, right, like and then for you for heterosexual, for, for, yes, yes, exactly. And so then it all becomes about this sex fetish of like, okay, this kind of sex, but not that kind of sex, and right. this is bad. How and, far can you go? Exactly, yep. and yeah. so that's What's where legal? that's where the that's where the the, the, the line the yep. triggers are. But for you, it's like twenty look. yards, yes. fifty yards down the field, Man. back behind of like. Is it okay to like raise my eyebrow? Is it okay to think a thought? Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, that go look that, that woman person is looks good. Yeah, I mean, and and I could not uh, identifying as homosexual myself. I could say, I think James is looking good today. Right, like, Aww. and that would never like strike me as like yeah. odd at all, right? Odd at all, yeah. or like sinful, or you know, anything like that. But you couldn't ever have that never. kind of thought, I w- and I would never let something come like come out of my mouth like that because people people would know maybe would, would know. think that and I, think, I would say, "Oh my god," and then they would say she's gay. And I think about my wife, who I mean, I've always imagined one of her great gifts is she see she, when I first met her, she would compliment people all the time. I love that color on you. Mm-hmm. Like you look really good in this, 
And she would do it toward other women. Mm -hmm. And I thought, isn't she lucky Mm -hmm. that she can do this? Because I kind of felt a little restrained from my own background that if I said, hey, that sweater looks really nice, it would be like, well, are you coming on to me? Like I had to keep this distance. But you couldn't do that Mm -hmm. from woman to woman. And just kind of calling out that that's another difference that you had to navigate. Yeah. Thank you. Very Thank you. So my question that was at least 15 minutes ago, but it's still relevant, is in all of your ministry, in all your travels, in all of the things I said before, um, how many people did you pray with, not for you, who came to you to try to make the gay go mm-hmm. away? Yeah. Um, I think there was a lot. Right? And I think that f- for those people, occasionally I would say, you know, well, I struggle too, and God still loves me, right? But I just don't act on it. That was kind of, that was the, because that was what I was taught to, that was how I was taught to minister. Like, you know, you, I always thought you're still loved, you're okay. and But you still could not embrace it. No, absolutely not. And you still couldn't have another idea outside of it it needs to be something that needs to be pushed down yeah or quote unquote healed yes absolutely and yeah and it wasn't until more recently a couple of years before i had my own kind of acceptance and embrace i was working at a addiction recovery and had the opportunity to minister there with spiritual groups and so many people were told, would would seek me out after and say, and this is when I was kind of more so leaning towards embracing myself. And I was like taking the journey of like, could this be possible? And, but I was still like, totally no. I, they would come up to me and they would say, you know, I'm, I, I'm gay. And like, I read, somebody gave me this book and this book says that I'm going to hell and that I'm terrible. And there's no way that it's okay for me to be gay and somebody told me that God hates me, and it just went on and on and on. They would just weep. They'd say, but I really love God, and I really need help, and I just want to have God in my life. And I would just say to them, you know, God loves you and wants to be in relationship with you and accepts you just as you are. And they would just weep and weep and weep, and I would pray with them to, to have God come into their hearts. And I would walk away from that, and I felt like like God's whisper of if it's true for them, isn't it true for you? And which was a total shift from how I was talking to people before in ministry. And it started to slowly melt my heart. I had so many more of those moments where I would just hear that whisper. I'd be driving down the road and I would have a vision and I would see Jesus just standing next to me, reviewing like all my past memories of attraction to women and thinking about all these things that I went through and seeing Jesus stand next to me, put his hand on my back. And I felt shame just like fall off of me like a ton of bricks and him looking at me and and saying like, I love you. I'm, I have no shame for you. And kind of shifted how I started to engage with people who were confessing to me. And then eventually that shifted to me telling myself that story. Mm. 
So we're coming to the end of today, this um, number, number episode. two, episode two, yes. So once again, thank you. And I know there's so much that you we haven't squeezed into this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but thank you again for sharing. And we're going to talk next time um, about that transition and about that journey and and how that began and how that moved through. I think you just shared how that began. So once again, we thank you, everyone, for being a part of today's podcast. And thank you to our listeners. And please share this with others. And thank you to the master sound technician, Dave Moore. And um, once again, we just pray that you find a table and in the midst of possible conflict and difficulties that you stay and and you love deeply all right thanks have a great day bye-bye staying at the table is hosted by dr tracy saletta matthew kissler and james Beatty, and produced by hear it sound and studio got a question or a comment or a topic you want discussed email us at adminccf at gmail.com we'd love hearing from you And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with new episodes coming out. And if you're feeling kind, leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Find out more about staying at the table at cornerstonewestchester.com.